Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Utah Statesman Sports Desk. I am your host, Parker Ballantyne. Joining me, as always, Jacob Nielsen. Uh, Jacob, say hello. Hello, hello. All right, so we have a ton to go over today. Tons of preseason at almost every level in, like, every sport. Well, I guess only two sports, but at, at like, every level that is worthy of news here in Aggie Nation. So we will go over all of that. Um, we have, so we'll, we'll be talking Jordan Love, we'll be talking Nemeus Keda, Sam Merrill, and of course, um, fall camp, which is still going strong. We had our first fall camp scrimmage last week, which we were able to attend. So we'll be breaking that down. So let's, let's get right into it. So over the week, before we get into, uh, before we get into it too far, the home schedule for Utah State um, has actually been released for a while, and they released the promotional schedule Every night kind of has a theme, whether it's blackout night or, uh, or whatever it may be. Uh, that was released over over the week. So let's take a look at that because um, I think there's a lot of really fun games, and I kind of want to draw attention to a couple of them before we uh, before we get going. Okay, so game one at home, September 10th, is uh, versus the North Dakota Fighting Hawks. That game will be Patriot Day, and it is a whiteout. Game two will be hosting the Boise State Broncos. That's Ag Day on September 25th. Uh, the third home game is October 1st. We are hosting the BYU Cougars. That is a blackout. Game four, we are hosting the Colorado State Rams. It is homecoming week, also a blueout. Game five, um, or the fifth home game, October 30th, we are hosting the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. That's Junior Aggie Day. Uh, the sixth home game, we are hosting the Wyoming Cowboys, the Pokes, for senior night and Bridger's Rifle, so a uh, fun one uh, to wrap up the season. I really want to draw uh, attention to the first game, our home opener against North Dakota, and I, I like to keep it about sports here on the podcast. Well, I we get real irrelevant sometimes, but it's mostly... We uh, sports and raising canes. Sp- yeah, sports and food mostly, but I do want to, I want to talk a little bit about non-sports for a second, and I don't want to get too... Um, you know, too emotional. I don't want to talk politics or anything like that, but I just want to draw significance to having the Patriot Day being game one. If I had to pick a theme, I'm not sure I could have picked a better theme for game one. I think after the year and a half that we've all been through, um, I think for most people that are at the age, uh, you know, at the college age, it was probably one of the most difficult uh, years we've been through. It's one of the more difficult times the United States has been through together um, since probably September 11th, which is a, a date that uh, many of us were too young to remember. And I think for us to be able to finally come together uh, and just be able to, I don't know, I, I, I think, it's, I think it's, a, it's a fitting way to finally come together. Most of us haven't been to a college football game. Most of us haven't been surrounded by, by strangers in a long time. We've all been through a lot in the past year and a half, and I, I think it's time to spend time together again. It's time to get together again. It's time to be in a massive football stadium and you listen to the Star Spangled Banner again. That that should be a sellout. Everyone should be coming to the home opener um, and being able to uh, to honor the country and just, I don't know. That's all I have to say about game one. Yeah, so it's on September 10th, so it's the day before 9-11, and 9-11... 2021 will be the 20th anniversary of the attacks with COVID and everything that you mentioned with this year and then also the recent 
events, well, the ongoing events in Afghanistan. Um, it's kind of an emotional time. So one thing I know about game one is there will be a full-size American flag that covers the entire football field pregame for that. So like Parker said, it's an FCS game. North Dakota's a good program, but we're going to win that game. Um, it'll be a, a great community event and uh, one that everyone needs to come out to. I, I, I think so, too. I couldn't, you know, like I said, I couldn't have picked a better theme for that game, which, you know, the week of September 11th, and um, just finally getting together again. It's been, a, it's been a tough year for everybody, and it's time to uh, get together again, I think. Um, and then just kind of scrolling through Game 3, Blackout, I don't think it's been confirmed yet or until they release the, the promotional schedule. Uh, but the black jerseys, I'm assuming, will be back if it's a blackout. So we'll be wearing black again against BYU at home. I hate it. I, I am not a fan. Not a fan. Of wearing the blackout jerseys against BYU. Yeah, I'm not a fan, especially after our first blackout game. We could have hung those up, and I would have been just fine. I like the jerseys. Don't get me wrong. I would be happy if they used the blackout jerseys in a game this year. Yeah, they're cool. Do it against Wyoming. Do it against Colorado State. I don't know. Do we play them at home? Don't do it against BYU. It seems like a gimmicky thing, which is cool. And for a later game in the, the year where you're bundled up in, like, black coats and stuff already, it works. But for a September game against your most hated rival, that's when you go you go blue out or you go white out. But you don't change an alternative color. That's just my personal opinion. Uniforms are cool. It'll be a fun atmosphere. I'm just not the biggest fan. I agree with you. I also kind of disagree with you because <laughs> <laughs> because I think I agree with you on your statement, but I disagree for the reason. I think you just treat it like a normal game because BYU, they're not in the conference. That game doesn't matter. It matters a ton. No, it, it matters to us a ton. But it I think I think I think the football team and the program should just be like, look, that's not a special game because it doesn't matter to the program. I, I think we should just treat it like a normal game. Like why why does it get a blackout game? Um, yeah, I, I think that's BYU is a rival. Not only that, beating them is one of the absolute best things that we can do. And everyone in the program and the fan base top to bottom has that game circled on their calendar, except for Parker, apparently. No, and don't get me wrong. I <laughs> hate BYU more than anyone on this planet, but that doesn't mean the game matters. That game is like the fifth or sixth most important game on our schedule every year. I, yeah, I disagree. Just recruiting implications... Yeah, recruiting, and sure. Everything. No, like, it's it's massive. Like, we are in so many battles against these guys. If we can consistently be beating them in the real season, it can change everything for Utah State. It's been since the beginning of time, having BYU having the upper hand on Utah State has seriously affected this program. And so that game is extremely, extremely important. Not from a conference perspective, if the goal is to win the conference, but I think looking big picture, that game is just as important as any any other. Well, it, it depends on what you mean when you say upper hand, because they kicked the crap out of us for. But that doesn't matter because we we're out here trying to win conference championships. <laughs> like we we could go zero and four at a conference, and it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. That's what I'm trying to say. It's like yeah, it's important for fans. It's it's fun. It's important for recruiting, but that game does not matter in football or basketball. You got to beat your your conference teams first. That's what I'm saying. The most important game on the schedule is. Well, if you want to get coach speak about it, the, first, the most important game is the next game. But if you really look at it, the most important game on the schedule, like Boise State, Colorado State, Wyoming, in-conference rivals, you have to beat the conference. We can go 0-4 out of conference and be just fine. 
We yeah. won't, and we shouldn't. And if we can beat BYU, that'd be great. But they're not in the conference. It doesn't matter. Yeah, definitely disagreement there. Um, <laughs> we'll I, get into the we'll conference get into is that. important. The conference is important, but I don't think you should be disregarding the non-conference schedule, especially. Um, anyways, <laughs> big point of disagreement. I think the BYU game is very important. Um, we'll talk. We'll talk a lot about that game and every other game when we do more of a season uh, breakdown, which we will do. Um, but we do have a lot more to cover, so let's move on to. Um, some of the preseason games last week that had an effect on Aggie Nation. Um, let's talk about Summer League, where our boys Sam Merrill and Nemius Keda, excuse me, Summer League champion Nemius Keda and NBA champion Sam Merrill um, had some playing time and were able to put up some numbers. So let's, uh, let's talk about their performance and what they were able to do in the Summer League, and uh, let's talk a little bit about what we think that means for, uh, for them. So Nemius Keda, in the five games he played, he averaged five points, 4.6 rebounds, and one block. So it wasn't a phenomenal performance, but he got plenty of minutes. He got run on the team, and they went 5-0, and right? Kedit, he wins in Vegas. King Kedit, he's 15-4 and in games he's played in Las Vegas, and this is just his third championship in four years that he's won in Vegas. So definitely not a coincidence that Namias Keta was a part of that team, a starter on that team. And they won, won it all. Yeah, he he wins games and he wins games in Vegas, fifteen and four in, in, the, in the city of Las Vegas. Which might be at varying levels. What's of, crazy is the fact that he's played nineteen games in Vegas itself because he had a three-year college career and then just five NBA games. Like that's a lot of games played in Las Vegas yeah. for m- many different reasons. That itself is kind of funny, but yeah, he's fifteen and four in Vegas, and then those have all been against good teams at varying yeah. levels, ranging yeah. from the the Dallas Mavericks to the, yeah. if, the UNLV Rebels. If Sam Merrill is the king of Las Vegas, Nemius Keita is like the prince. He also, one other number I want to draw a number or uh, draw attention to, um, just because I am an analytics guy, um, he had a plus-minus of nine, which there's a lot more factors. It's, it's less of an individual stat, as some people think. Um, but if you are positive, uh, it is going to be something that teams notice, and it generally means you're playing well. Um, so to have a plus-minus of nine um, is pretty good. It's one of the higher ones of of the uh, summer league. There were some outliers, like uh, way up in the 20s, but for the most part, um, everyone was hovering around like 13. Uh, was you know 13, 11, 12, 13. Uh, so for him to be at nine uh, is really good for him. Um, Sam Merrill as well got some playing time with his new team. What what did you like about Sam Merrill? What did you see out of him? You know, Merrill played really, really well with the Grizzlies, and he averaged 11.3 points a game, 4.8 rebounds, and 3.3 assists, so he really loaded up the stat chart. That last game on Monday night, he had like 20 points, and eight of them were in the fourth quarter. He kind of took the initiative a little bit there against the Clippers, and he had a move, a drive to the basket that looked really athletic, and then the best play was he had the pump fake right and then the step to the side yeah. and then drain the three in the dude's eyes so yeah and that, that one was, was like all over play. instagram and stuff so if you missed it you should probably be following me and jake on instagram but like that one was kind of like the highlight that everyone was putting out absolutely so um, great showing from merrill sounds like he's gonna be on that nba roster and yeah have a role on yeah the team. i mean it is summer league so it is it's tough to really get a gauge of what memphis has planned for him but i think it does just 
go to show you know what we were talking about last week. I think he is now on a team where he has an opportunity to play more of a role, uh, whether it's a plug and play role or if it's more of a, a high usage. We like we said we don't really know. Uh, he's getting a lot of time and scoring a lot in the summer league. Um, how that's going to translate, you know, with Memphis, you don't really know. They are a really young team, so summer league has you know a lot of their a lot of their players that are going to crack the rotation, um, but they also have a well established lineup. Um, and then his, his plus minus, again, was three. And like I said, anytime you're positive, it's a good thing. Um, and three is, you know, it's right where you'd want to be as a, as a guy coming off the bench trying to crack the rotation. So uh, great showing from both of our guys out in, uh, in Las Vegas over the weekend. Uh, we also had Jordan Love making an appearance in his preseason game. In one half of football was 12 of 17 for 122 yards with one touchdown and zero interceptions. It was really a pretty good performance. Uh, everyone seemed to agree that it was pretty good. You know, 122 yards and a half, a touchdown, no interceptions is big as well. He did only play for one half, did not come back out in the second half, and after the game went in for an MRI on his shoulder. The MRI came back clean, but he hasn't been able to practice with the team. And he, as of right now, it looks like he's questionable to play in the next preseason game. So you never know with injuries, you never know with quarterbacks and preseason but hopefully he's good to go hopefully he gets another shot um, Jordan loves kind of I think he's in a position where he can't really afford to miss a lot of time um, in these preseason games especially if he's going to play like that if he can continue to play like that and keep playing games uh, it's going to make him really attractive he can't afford to miss miss games he definitely can't afford to get hurt so you definitely want him to get better but if he if he's good to go you'd love to see him play and keep, continue to put up good numbers yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him again in the preseason. And obviously, it would be really, really valuable for him. Yeah. But at the same time, with Aaron Rodgers being the starting quarterback, I think the Green Bay organization, their priority is just let's make sure Love is healthy and we'll get back out, get him back out there when he is healthy, but we're not going to risk anything. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's kind of. They're, they're in no hurry to showcase what Jordan Love can do because they have him there and they, they're planning for the future with Jordan Love, so they want to keep him healthy. They don't really care to show him off to anybody. But it would be good for Jordan Love. I'd love to see him again, but obviously the, the health is the priority. And like you mentioned, like Aaron Rodgers is the starter, so they're in no hurry to get somebody ready to go week one because they already have that. So that's all we really have on Jordan Love. And then, so I don't want to bring it up again, but let's talk about a little bit about BYU their NIL deal that they announced, was it last week or two weeks ago? We talked a little bit about it last week. Turns out that might not be as above the board as we thought. I it's never, definitely, for record, I never thought it was above the board. I just don't really think there is a board. Uh, yeah, that's true. I, from the start, had questions about it. And looking closer and like having conversations with other people, it definitely they, there's definitely something going on. There's definitely something a little bit off with the way it happened. I'm not a NIL lawyer. I'm not like certified in any way like but there's definitely very few rules and BYU still managed to break some of those rules and still managed to really push the envelope with what's allowed and what's not allowed. Um, one of the pretty clear rules from the NCAA pretty early was that um, any personal endorsement deals had to be um, brokered by either the athlete or, or an agent of the athlete um, directly between you know the brand 
or the company and the athlete, um, and also that you cannot use your school's you know, logos and facilities to um, make those deals happen. Those two things are highly in question right now with BYU. Um, so, what, yeah, what, what are your thoughts? Let's talk a little bit about what kind of trouble BYU might be in, uh, what, what kind of precedent they're setting, and what it means for them and other teams in the country. Well, Parker, the good news is I am an NIL lawyer. Oh, good. And I, I can tell you what's right and wrong when it comes to NIL. But here's the bad news. There's no NIL judge. There's no NIL jury. <laughs> there's no NIL jail. There's no legislation for NIL in the state of Utah, and the NCAA has made it pretty clear. Here are our guidelines. These yeah. are the guidelines, but they're not being enforced. So with BYU, clearly, clearly what they're doing is in violation with the guidelines that have been set forth. Um, the built bar logo is going to be on their helmets. I mean, you might consider it a gray area, but it's really getting That's close to that where I'd consider it's probably not allowed. Because you, you'd think if it's going to be on the uniform, even the practice uniform, you know, that, that would be something. You, you know, you'd have to have a team sponsorship mm-hmm. to have your logo there. It's and not like they're all wearing like or like a built bar wristband or something when they walk around campus. It's on their football equipment. Yeah, and I think the most damning piece of evidence is the video itself that everybody watched. Yeah. And that is all the all the players are just shocked and astonished that they're yeah. getting this deal. No one should be surprised when you land an NIL deal. You're, it's your job to broker the deal yeah, you with should the companies be the one, yourself. Yeah, totally. Brigham Young has clearly brokered these deals between the company yeah. for their athletes, which well, yeah, is illegal. Which it, whether it's like Tom Homo, Kalani Sataki, I don't know who it was uh, facilitating that deal. You watch that video, it's clearly not the players. Um, and just going you know, right along with what you're saying, if you watch the video, everyone's wearing their BYU shorts and their BYU equipment, which it's my understanding that's not allowed. Um, that, it's in a BYU yeah. facility, which... Again, maybe it's a gray area. I thought it wasn't so allowed. Some of those things might be more school decisions. So okay. certainly a gray area. But but, but still, you can clearly tell. They can't broker tell. the deal. The school yeah, can't broker the deal. Yeah, you can still tell where it's happening at some sort of team meeting right after practice, and this guy from Built Bar is there, and he's like, hey, guess what? You're all on scholarship. If you think a walk-on has the authority to just invite his NIL brand into the locker room to sign his own deal... That, no, absolutely not. That was definitely brokered by a university. Is BYU going to be punished for it? Probably not. The NCAA is probably not going to do anything. If you think Utah is going to push any legislation that hurts BYU, you're out of your mind. That will never happen. So, yeah, BYU is probably going to get away with it. But my guess is within a year you're going to see a lot of clarifications to rules come down from the NCAA. And stuff like this will probably not be allowed going forward. Because really what it is is uh, BYU is finding a way around the scholarship limit. Um, they are you know, kind of just colluding with a private company to provide the scholarships for them. And the other thing about NIL is it's supposed to be you know, a two, two-party transaction between companies and players. This is pretty obviously a three-party transaction where the company built brands is providing money and scholarships to the players the players are playing for the team, and the team is providing publicity for built brands. I mean, it was the team's Twitter that tweeted it out. So it wasn't the walk-ons, like, using their own social media and stuff. It was pretty clearly the team, the program, was very heavily involved. So 
we'll, we'll see what kind of rule clarifications there are going forward. It's sketchy. Maybe it'll pre- present a precedent to make things stricter, but at the same time, I think it's very smart by BYU. In my head, I'm thinking this is you're trying to get an edge on the competition college football. This is how they've done it. Even if it, by letter of the law, it's illegal, it's not going to be rele- relegated. I think that the plan of action is to fight fire with fire and try to bring in your own major deals for your own personal teams. And Utah State can't do it that, at the same level that BYU can, but we still got major companies up here in Cash Valley. I don't see, I don't see why not that we cut the deal a little bit instead of blowing the whistle and no one's hearing it. Yeah. Let's just do the same thing. We got to fight fire with fire. That's how you win college football. So yeah. I don't know if that's something that the athletic department at Utah State is going to do. John Hartwell says he likes to take the high road in these situations. But Which he he does. Like you've seen in his But he should it. In his history. He, he should it. They should I mean, definitely try to go after the program Utah State itself should be trying to find deals to hook up its athletes. That's what they should be doing. It's completely illegal, but it's what BYU has been doing, and it wasn't regulated by them. They should be doing the exact same thing and make the playing field more even. That's what I think, but I don't think they will. Well, even just like in the case of BYU, it's only cheating if you get caught and if if it's enforced. So, yeah, what they're doing isn't by the book. It's not by the rules. But if they're not getting in trouble, then the rules are the rules that are enforced. The rules aren't the rules that are written. Those don't matter. The only rules that matter are the ones that are enforced. So it's only cheating if you don't get away with it. BYU is clearly getting away with it. And being a tattletale doesn't win any games. So our athletic department, other athletic departments that BYU competes with, they could blow the whistle and point their finger at BYU and complain that doesn't win football games. So you have to find a different way to have a competitive edge. I do think there's going to have to be some clarifications on the rules but until that happens it's the wild west and your first priority needs to be you know how can you find a competitive edge so i, I agree with you there's if, if it's not going to be enforced then like you said it's not letter of the law it's how it's actually enforced that's really the reality yeah. of how these things work yeah and that's just that's that, i mean that's not even just college football that's just life that's life. so you've got to find a way to to remain competitive and so we'll see we'll see if other schools uh, can do that, whether it's Utah State, uh, Utah, or other, you know, those you know those other schools that compete with BYU on the field and in recruiting. We'll see what they can do. That is certainly enough BYU talk for like 100 lifetimes for me. Let's talk fall camp. We're still in the middle of fall camp. We're still going strong. And we had a scrimmage. Anything um, right at the top before we jump into that scrimmage, Jake? Yeah, so some big news. Um, this week, it was first reported by Jason Turner, our buddy at the Herald Journal. Um, two twin brothers, or that would make it four individuals if it was two. A set of twin brothers. A set of twin brothers. I'm a twin myself. I should know how to say these things. Anyways, a set of twin brothers, Enoka Migao and Alaya Migao. I don't know if I said their names right. Those two guys, they originally committed. Enoka is a defensive end and Elia is an offensive lineman and they originally committed to BYU. Oh man, we were talking more of you. All right, this is it. After this, no more <laughs> BYU talk. For after after this, but because of, actually we don't know why I was going to speculate on why they didn't go to BYU. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, we don't speculate here. We never <laughs> speculate. That's probably 75% of our <laughs> podcast is speculation. Anyways, I'm not going to spe- speculate in this regard. 
But they had offers out of high school for Michigan, Oregon, Washington State. So some big schools, they're coming to Logan. Um, they're already at spring camp. I asked one of the offensive line players, I'm like, hey, dude, what's it like having Alaya on the team? And the guy told me, he's like, he's a freaking beast. He's only 17 years old, but he's 300 plus pounds and he can move around like crazy. And so they are happy to have him, have those two guys. They won't start, right? They've got to learn the playbook. They're only freshmen. But they are talented enough that they are going to see the field this fall. So that's the big news from yesterday. And, yeah, just like Anderson has said, we need more depth up front, and that's that's how we're doing it. So. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge get. Um, that's kind of what I was going to say is anytime you can add any depth up front, um, those are players that, you know, you ha- you got to keep them fresh throughout the game. And one of the unfortunate parts of, of football is, you know, those are guys that tend to get hurt. Um, so you, you hope to keep them healthy, obviously. But um, even in-game, you're rotating them out. There's a lot of movement up there. So anytime you can add depth, those are two position two position groups where you can never really have enough depth. So huge get for uh, Utah State to bring those guys in. Um, it is kind of a weird time to be, you know, joining the team, middle of fall camp. So uh, it might take a minute for them to learn the playbook and uh, get in shape and everything. But Utah State does have a really good history of brothers that decide to come play together at Utah State, dating all the way back to the man Merlin Olson and his brother Phil, um, all the way to, you know, the brothers Vigil and the Wimpies. So lots of brothers that have come through Utah State and, you know. The Van Lewins. Oh, well, they, they, yeah, that's like a whole family that has come through. The Nelsons. The Nelsons. Two-thirds of the Nelsons. <laughs> okay, that's smart. Yeah, so there's there's been some brothers that have come through Utah State. Maybe these guys can add their uh, add their names to that long list of, of brothers that just kind of dominate. So, so yeah, let's let's talk then about the scrimmage that we saw. I had a great time. I thought it was a great performance, really on on both sides of the ball. Every position group looked uh, pretty good, pretty ready to go. I mean, the number my number one takeaway just watching was that there was really no major holes. Um, every position group looks like there's at least guys there that are ready to step up and be ready by week one. Um, so that was kind of my, my number one takeaway. And then there were some position groups that really stood out and really looked good. What, what did you think? What were your, like, some of your basic takeaways? Um, just sitting, you know, sitting there watching football for probably the first time in a while. Well, it was a lovely Saturday. You know, I was wearing my Texas Rangers bucket hat, blocking the sun out. And so it was an enjoyable time just sitting there and watching some ball. One thing that stood out to me is the physicality. It was only just the start of the second week of fall camp. And the defense looked really physical. Yeah. That was concerned last season. I assure you, that sure is a strong word, but that's not going to be a concern this season is the physicality. No. They were looking this physical in the middle of August. By the start of September, they'll be ready to roll. That defense is nasty. They... They beat guys up. They don't. They don't let those running backs have any gaps. If you're a running back for your on an opposing offensive season, you're gonna have to earn it. You're gonna have to break a tackle. You're gonna have to have some studs on your offensive line because yeah, yeah, either that or the chicken and the egg thing. Our mm-hmm. offensive line is atrocious, which I don't believe is the case because with Demetri Kalafua, Jacob South, and all those homies. That's a good. That's a good squad. Yeah. It's not a very deep squad, but it's a good squad. So I think it's more an testament to how great the front seven is on Utah State. That's what stood out to me most is the defense and how great they looked. Yeah, it, it's hard to tell sometimes when they're going up against each other, but 
when I was watching, I kind of got the sense that the defense is just that good. And the offensive line, depth is a concern there. And they, you know, they might struggle throughout the season, but that defensive line is really, really good. They are going to be an absolute nightmare for opposing offensive coordinators and offensive quarterbacks because they they are mean and they, they're good. And the secondary isn't much worse. Uh, we have some great linebackers. We have Justin Rice. Justin um, Rice is, in my opinion, from what I've seen thus far, the best player on the team. I really believe that. Yeah, he's so good. I, I'm not a big NFL scouting or recruiting guy. I don't totally understand things. But from what I see, I know he's like a fifth-year senior. But why he, why couldn't he be an NFL guy? Because he's got the speed. He's not. The reality is he's not like a ultra ultra athletic. But but Justin Rice, he's just he's everywhere. He doesn't miss tackles. He just yeah. he just beats guys up and. He's the real deal. Justin Rice is just always the guy who is doing the right thing. He's always in the right place. He doesn't miss tackles. He's fast. He's he's pretty athletic, but he's always where he needs to be. He really understands his role on this defense. And so I, I really think the defense is going to cause some problems in the Mountain West this year. Justin Rice is not only one of the best players on the team, I think he, from what I've seen, and from just his past as well, he's probably going to be one of the better defenders in the conference. And he's already proven that. He's, he already State. was, yeah. At Fresno yeah. State, he was first team all Mountain West. I wouldn't be surprised if he finds his way up there again or in the conversation to be first team all Mountain West again for a different team. Um, he was really good. Agreed. And then last thing I'll say about the defense, um, the secondary, Parker mentioned, they are better too. Um, I don't think they're nearly, nearly as good as the defensive line. Um, they'll be the the weak spot of the defense. I don't think there is a weak spot, but if you have to pick, it's going to be the secondary. But with Hunter Reynolds from Michigan joining Shaq Bond and Cam Lampkin, the the safeties and the, the cornerbacks are going to be they're going to be a lot better. So Hunter Reynolds, he's a playmaker. He's going to be someone that's going to be picking off quarterbacks yeah. and stuff. And yeah, he's he's a speedy dude. He's he's kind of he reminds me of Troy Leffridge a little bit, Junior from last year, but. Uh-huh maybe even a little bit faster. So, yeah. look out for him. And, and that front, you know, the, the line and the secondary, they kind of feed off of each other because if the defensive line is really breaking through and rushing the quarterback, it's going to force, you know, pressured passes and it's going to make that secondary look good. Also, if that line is making it really difficult to run the ball, it's going to force the opposing team to throw the ball a lot more uh, where our guys can go and get it. And if our secondary is playing really well and it forces the offense to try to run the ball they're not going to get very far so those they, they kind of play off each other we always say it Blake Anderson always says it it starts up front if they can put pressure on the quarterback cause some bad passes you know start getting some tackles for a loss it makes the secondary job a lot easier and that secondary I think is already pretty good like you said it might not be the strongest part of the team but when you have a front that looks the way ours does it really makes them look a lot better I think and one thing that it does is it causes turnovers creates havoc there were six turnovers five turnovers according to the release Blake Anderson thought there were six in the scrimmage on Saturday I'm taking Blake's side on that one (laughs) (laughs) so turnovers that 2018 one of the aspects of that defense that was really effective one they were playing some really crappy teams but they also forced a ton of turnovers and when you can flip the field and just get takeaways like that 
world of a difference. And so that's something that I think we're going to get back to seeing is a defense that forces a lot of turnovers because we did not see that in 2019 or 2020. You're right. And going right off of that, in that 2018 year, uh, that really worked well because we were turning the ball over into the hands of Jordan Love. It's football season. We can't go a full podcast without talking QB. When our defense forces a turnover, which they will, they're going to turn it over to, in my opinion, a pretty capable offense. There were not weaknesses, uh, concerns maybe uh, on the offensive end. Um, Offensive line was a concern. The offensive line was a concern. Quarterback is a slight concern, maybe. Um, I feel good about the quarterback position. I feel pretty good about the quarterback position. Uh, the top three all look pretty good. The top two look really good. And, I mean, Logan Bonner looked really good. The one thing I would say is he kind of looked a little bit out of practice. There were a couple times he didn't make maybe the best decision. Um, he looked really good out of practice a little bit. Um, Peasley looked like a really, uh, really good number two. And Cooper Lega looks like he's going to be really, really good in a year or two. I'm not worried about the quarterback position, but I'm also not thrilled about the quarterback position um, just from what I've seen so far. That's that's an interesting take. And I actually feel I feel a little bit better than you do about the quarterbacks, specifically about Logan Bonner. He's going to be the man that I think that was solidified on Saturday and from what I've heard from already fall camp this week is he's distanced himself from Peasley. Nothing's going to be official, but that's what I'm hearing. I thought that he had some throws that both quarterbacks, like you mentioned, they had a couple of plays that's like, homie, like, come on now, like, yeah. what you doing? But yeah. for the most part, Logan Bonner, I think he went 13 for 17 on his passes on Saturday, and he had some crisp throws. He's got an arm, like, he's got a rocket, right? Like, he can he, launch that he thing. He does have a great arm. And he has the ability to fit it. In the tight windows, um, we didn't see him throw the ball deep as much as I would have liked. He had one connection with Devin Tompkins for like 35 yards or something, but a lot of it was kind of slot things to Van Leeuwen across the middle or to Tompkins, or there weren't as many kind of deep throws. And so I'd like to see more of that. I know he's capable of connecting on those from what we've heard. If yeah. you can do it consistently is another question. I know I, I agree with everything you said. I think the point I was trying to make is you can kind of just tell that Logan Bonner's coming off an injury That's and funny. hasn't been playing uh, as long because mm-hmm. the talent's there. He just made a couple of decisions. Like like I said, there was a couple of throws where it was just like, okay, you haven't played a full – you didn't play a full spring. Gotcha. Um, but he, he definitely separated myself, himself in my mind as well where he's, he's going to be QB1, and I'm confident that he – like I, I feel good in his hands. Um but this next week of fall camp is going to be huge to get him a lot of reps because I think he does need to get back into practice a little bit. Maybe it's just mentally, maybe it's physically, but Probably um, I, I could definitely tell that he is coming off an injury. Um, once he gets there, he's he's there. Cool. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, he's definitely working his way in, and then reality is you'll never totally know who's the man until you get into a game situation, right? But Bonner's experienced enough. He's started enough games. In the Sun Belt, sure. But, yeah, I think uh, he'll be ready to go. He's made a lot of progress with his injury already. And, yeah, no, he's he's looking good. He's well on his way. So Yeah, and, and Peasley looked good as well. I had somebody ask me over the weekend, um, just because their play style is so different uh, between Logan Bonner being more of a pocket passer. Um, Peasley did look really uncomfortable in the pocket at times. He was very quick to run. And somebody asked me, their difference of play style is at a disadvantage or is an advantage. 
Um, I think, well, it depends on coaching. It could be either. But I was asked if we would ever see something where they kind of split snaps and run kind of two separate offenses. I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. But it is nice to have a quarterback that you can rely on to do different things. So I wouldn't be surprised if Peasley does get time. I don't think they're going to split snaps going into the season or anything like that. I think it's going to be Bonner QB1. But, I mean, Peasley is faster, I think. Peasley's got good legs. So it is nice to have different weapons in your arsenal at the quarterback position. So No, that's that's a great point. And I think part of the reason what why Peasley looked shaky in the pocket is when he was running with the twos, they weren't giving him a pocket like to throw with the offensive line. It wasn't. Yeah. But at the same time, he isn't a very comfortable pocket passer, but he's really fast. Yeah. He reminds me of Travis Wilson from Utah back in the early 2010s. He kind of looks like a giraffe out there running around. And so I think that's a fantastic point. If Logan Bonner's out there, he can run a little bit. He's not like a Tanner Mangum from BYU that just, you know, just can't move, right? Mm-hmm. Or like a Eli Manning or Tom Brady. But yeah. he... That'd be a good comparison, though, to... Eli Manning and Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's the not flattering compliment. <laughs> that's not Logan Bonner, but if something if it isn't working right, if he's not cont- connecting with his passes, if he doesn't have time, whatever, Peasley is a good alternative because he is somebody that will come in and shake things up, similar to yeah. what he did last year. Shelley was him. He's more similar with Shelley. Shelley's more of a runner. Yeah. The thing about Shelley is it was like we were running the Wildcat almost. Like mm-hmm. he was throwing. Like, he couldn't throw the ball downfield. He just didn't have an arm. Yeah. Anyways. I think that's a great point. Peasley definitely could come in, shake things up, give different reads to the defense if that is something that is necessary if the offense is stalling out. So Yeah, and we have heard from multiple guys on this team, this team or this coaching staff has the stones to call a trick play, and it has the stones to mix things up a little bit. So like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some playing time, if he takes some snaps in different situations or by necessity. But do I think they're going to split snaps? No. I think it's definitely QB1, Logan Bonner. Uh, Peasley is kind of your clear number two, and that's a solid number two. I think he'd be probably a starter on a lot of different Mountain West teams. And then Cooper Lagaw got a lot of snaps. He looked really good. Don't sleep on Lagaw. He looked young, but he looked really good. So I think our our quarterback situation is in good hands um, in the short and midterm because I, I really like Cooper. And one thing about Cooper is he works really hard and he, I think, is going to improve and be able to work really hard, work himself into a good position to be the cu- quarterback of the future. Um, do we have the stats on all three quarterbacks? Because Cooper actually... Legas, he... How do you say his last name? It's Cooper Legas, I think. Legas, he's a football dude, and he played really great on Saturday. He's he more was... than a football dude. He's like, he's wrestling, javelin, football. He's an oh, everything he, dude. He's an everything dude. He's like, an everything dude. He's the sure. type of guy you want to, like, be your uncle, like, in, like, family re- reunion barbecues when you're, like, taking on your cousins and you need an extra guy. Bring in Cooper. If there's, if there's one guy on the football team that I want to be around if an apocalypse happens, it's Cooper. Because you can <laughs> throw a javelin, you can wrestle, and then you can, like, toss a pigskin around, too, if you get bored. Yeah, for sure. He'd be he'd be like number one of people I'd want to be with in a box. I think apocalypse. I think that's a very good choice. Now you got me thinking on that. I want to think about that more than I want to think about the scrimmage now. <laughs> Let's focus on the scrimmage and then and then we'll circle back. Yeah, to we the can back. Okay, perfect. So I just wanted to read off the stats from the quarterbacks on the scrimmage. Peasley finished eleven to twenty-one with one hundred and twenty-seven passing yards. He split time with Bonner in the ones and the twos, right? And then Bonner finished. 
16 of 20 with 186 passing yards, so that was really impressive. Lea, all his snaps were with the twos and the threes. There were kind of two units, but they were they go three deep in some spots on defense and offense. But he finished 14 of 17 with 153 passing yards. So he outdid Peasley yeah. in passing yards and in completion by a large margin. So. Yeah, Cooper Cooper definitely outplayed Peasley. Um, it was one of those things that felt like, watching it kind of felt like Cooper was maybe outplaying Peasley, um, but I was still a little bit shocked to see how wide that margin was in the stats. So, yeah, Cooper is definitely right there, and I think he's pushing the number one and two guy to work even harder because if, you know, you don't want to be – you don't want to lose the battle for the starting quarterback and then suddenly be third string because Cooper caught up to you. So I think they're both working really hard to be QB1, and if nothing else, QB2. They don't. They do not want to get passed by Cooper, and Cooper wants to be right there. He he wants to be QB too. So uh, almost kind of a three uh, a three man battle at the top, kind of. Um, but I think Cooper's definitely pushing Pease and Logan a little bit. Yeah, they're, they're Def- the definitely a two man battle for the top. But Legat is might push Peasley for that two position, right? Yeah, that's what like, I mean. Like, it's like it's out like, of the, the you almost have like two two man battles where you have with you. you have a two man battle at the top, but then that second string battle is going to be a battle all year long because Cooper doesn't want to be third string. No one does. Peasley's just in this this awful sandwich. He's just like yeah. the ham in the middle of he the could, he could easily be first string first string or third string, depending yeah. on what what he can do, what Cooper and, and Logan Bonner can do. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um back to the the apocalypse. <laughs> I was thinking about this, and I think I want Stephen Cot Stanley. Yeah, <laughs> I want to be yeah. with him because here's why: an apocalypse. Like, I'm probably not gonna make it, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm skinny. I'm, I don't know. Like, I just thinking about it. Like, no matter who I'm with, like at the end of the day, like I'm probably going down, and so I might as well go down having a good time. Yeah, that. As soon as you said his name, I was like, that is a good call because either way I'm going to die and it's going to be more fun with him. He's really funny to talk to. Um, also, Savon Scarver. If you're, if you're going the I'm going to die anyway, Savon Scarver oh, would be great. a fun one to spend your, your like last week with because he's really funny. Um, and then Byron Vaughns also is really funny. You know what? Byron Vaughns, now that you mentioned him, he might be the best of both worlds. Because he's a big, That's physical, true. speedy dude. That's true. He, could, he can murk a zombie easily. But at the same time... Lively dude, lots of fun. So it'd be like, it would just be like a blast. Like you'd be, would be going around, living large, but also escaping by. So yeah, that's true. Um, also, we should mention about Byron Vaughn's. Um, he didn't play in the scrimmage. He was in a boot. Um, we don't know. I don't know how he missed that at the top, but yeah, Byron Vaughn's didn't play. Oh, we. I do have an update. Oh, you have an on update Byron. on Byron. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, well, so that's... he'll be um, available. For the Washington State game, it's more okay. of a precautionary thing. That's what I was hoping. That's yeah. what I was that's, really. That's hoping. what you were hoping for on yeah. Saturday. Like, well, I don't know, man. Like, it might be a bigger. Th- You're right. Yeah, it's I a agree. precautionary thing. Yeah. So, I don't know if he'll be in the scrimmage on this upcoming Saturday. Really, he's one of the guys that solidified himself. He doesn't need to yeah. prove anything from what we've heard. As fans, we still want to see him out there. Yeah, I want to see him as a fan, but it'd also be nice to get him reps. But you know what? He's got to be healthy first. So. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Great point. Okay. Well, so that's fall camp. We do have another scrimmage this week, and we'll be able to break that down uh, this upcoming week. Um, I think that just about does it for uh, for this show. 
One thing I do want to mention, um, I have a couple friends that are on the faculty here at the university, and the rumor that's going around is that the masks, uh, mask mandate is going to be back in force for students. I don't know if that's true or not, and, and frankly, the only reason I'm bringing it up is because we are not quite done with the coronavirus and if they are willing to enforce a mask mandate um, then surely reducing capacity at the MAV has to be on the table as well so I'm I'm not a doctor I'm not going to tell you that you need to get a vaccine or to do I'm telling or you, whatever get a vaccine come on now if it means we're getting yeah. full capacity <laughs> yeah. like just get the vaccine I don't care yeah I'm not I, a big politics guy um, but the reality is, man, like, I think, you gotta get yourself vaccinated. I think everyone who can needs to be vaccinated. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm not a doctor. Whether you get the vaccine is between between you and your, your doctor. But that doesn't change the fact that we all have a responsibility to do our part. So if you aren't able to get vaccinated, if you have a good reason not to get vaccinated, uh, you have a responsibility to wear a mask, to keep some distance between you and others. If you feel sick, stay home. Like, we're so close. Football season's right around the corner. Let's just get through this and be able to pack the Mav. I'm not, I don't want to tell you how to live your life, but we all have a responsibility to do, to do our best to get out of this in whatever shape that takes, whether it's the vaccine, masks, uh, physical distancing, or all of the above. But we just got to gotta do our part to get out of this so we can pack the Mav. I know it's a selfish request, but I don't care. I want to be in a packed Mav. If you're vaccinated, then you're going to be fine. And so I think it should be good, but yes, things are happening, so... Yeah. All I'm going to say is do the research, get your information from credible sources, talk to your doctor, and do your part to make sure we can get out of this. This is a credible source, by the way, this podcast. This is, I don't want to get shut down by the CDC. This is a source. <laughs> you know what this is? This is a credible source for college football. That, that, that much I go. can say. There you go. Absolutely. Um, hey, but it's here, baby. It's here. It's fall, dog. We're so close. Fall, I mean, it's definitely I fall I saw time. a yellow leaf on one tree. That's big time. You know I what know, that means? Dog. That means it's football season. It's football season. So a season opener in Wazoo right around the corner, and then we're bringing it home uh, for the Patriot Day on September 10th. Make sure you get your tickets to that game. I think it's going to be a really important game um, as we honor uh, honor and remember uh, September 11th as well as uh, just come together for the first time. I think it's important that we all uh, do our best to be there. And then after that, our next two home games are BYU and Boise State. You definitely want to be in those games as well. The first three home games of the of the season should be sellouts, and let's go, let's go, let's have some fun. Let's it's time for football. Absolutely, that's our podcast. All right, we'll be back next week.